Well, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer before we get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before your word and uh, again continue to prepare our hearts uh, in reflection of the coming of Christ in celebration of uh, this season uh, of the promise being uh, coming to fulfillment in Jesus, uh, we thank you that God, we uh, are woven into this, uh, that this is not something we watch from afar, but God, it is uh, part and parcel of who we are uh, as your people. And may your word today uh, remind us of that truth and um, knit our hearts even closer to, to, to Christ and to one another uh, in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, last week, Jeff talked and touched upon the mystery of Advent, uh, the mystery of God's plan of redemption unfolding through a virgin birth, which is, again, just saying those two words together uh, is a mystery in and of itself, right? Uh, The mystery that God uh, would come and make himself known, not just as a man, but as a baby, right? That uh, the the mystery that he would uh, choose this couple from a ramshackle town, uh, a couple of uh, of, of no renown, and yet... Uh, choose to bring come into the world through them. You know, the New Testament regularly speaks of the mystery of Christ, how who Jesus was and is and what he came to do makes absolutely no worldly sense. Uh, and yet at the same time, Jesus is our most powerful and beautiful gift uh, in all history and all humanity. And for a lot of us, faith has an element of mystery. None of us walks in here with uh, 100% intellectual understanding of every single jot and tittle of the Christian faith or uh, understands the Bible back and forth through all the pages no matter how much study you've done. There is an aspect and an air of what we believe uh, to have aspects of mystery, of paradox, of things that we simply cannot fully wrap our heads around because God is God and we are not. Um, but we do know uh, that God came to save us, to meet us, and to know us. In the person of Jesus Christ. And what we see today uh, is Mary herself, the mother of God, embracing this mystery. How she goes from what we saw last week of of wondering uh, and hearing the prophecy of Gabriel and wondering what is really happening here. Uh, What is God doing with me, with my body? Uh, And trying to make sense of the mystery of Christmas and, and even embracing it to some degree, perhaps with some confusion, to what we see today. Uh, a young lady who takes that mystery and explodes in a song of exuberance, of joy, and of hope. A teenage girl who goes from, uh, okay God, if you say so, if this is what's happening, it's happening, to... Someone who's singing the very first Christmas carol. How does this movement happen? How does she learn to delight and to worship the very child she carries? And what does this shift from a kind of cloudy comprehension to an unadulterated joy and peace say to us? What does that mean for us as we think and reflect on Advent today? We're going to think about two things. Uh, There are the aspect of promise that comes forth that Mary takes hold of uh, in this Advent. 
and for us what we think about uh, these promises. First, the promise of grace and then the promise of change. A promise of grace found in the birth in, in, in the baby Jesus and the promise of change to come in Jesus. You know, we can't possibly underemphasize Mary's situation as the virgin mother. It just you can't help but really think about her situation. Mary's probably a teenager, maybe even pre-tea, 12, 13 years old. I mean, it's a different time in which she lived. She came from Nazareth, a small town. Uh, Nathaniel, one of the earlier followers of Jesus, once exclaimed, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? There might be cities in the Bay Area, you, perhaps places that you wouldn't want to live in, and you might ask yourself, can anything good come from this city? I say that about Fremont sometimes because that's where I grew up. But, but that's the kind of uh, background of where, the, where the, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph came from. Mary herself, relatively poor, if you consider their traveling situation and what they could find and afford. Uh, she, they were, in essence, unmarried when she became pregnant. Uh, and a teenage pregnancy and her alibi for her pregnancy was simply that God did it. Right? Not exactly a, a good excuse for people who had questions about their relationship. And so by every single definition uh, in their time and place, she was a social outcast, a cultural outcast, a spiritual outcast. The lowest of the low. And yet things for some reason seem to turn here in what we've read today where she visits her cousin Elizabeth. And her cousin Elizabeth, again, we remember has a miracle pregnancy of herself, right? Older in age, uh, a wife of a temple priest. Um, some speculate she was probably in her 60s or 70s. Uh, and both these ladies have miracle pregnancies at very different ages. And in some sense, you would also expect Mary to have some deference. Uh, Elizabeth had perhaps higher standing because her husband uh, was more involved in the spiritual uh, kind of offices of the world that day. Uh, she is the older cousin, older by decades. And so there should be a sense of deference in many ways for Mary to have toward Elizabeth. And yet when they meet, when Mary visits Elizabeth, it is Elizabeth who's filled with the Spirit overcome with joy it says it exclaims to mary in verse 42 blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb have you ever been weirded out by someone who's a little too happy to see you <laughs> we've all faced that right like i've uh, you walk into a room and someone is so happy to see you and you're wondering to yourself like i mean i know i'm great but i'm not that great right like what's going on and and you start to wonder like what's the big deal is this a trap right is there a hidden camera somewhere um you wonder what the really big deal is and in a lot of ways i'm sure mary walks into that room and elizabeth is just going nuts over her and there's an aspect where she's kind of wondering what's going on what's the big deal I mean, she knows that what she's going to, and yet at the same time, Mary's thinking, well, Elizabeth, you have a miracle child yourself. You shouldn't be having children, and you have one. Furthermore, consider Mary, and again, her situation as an outcast in so many different ways. Imagine, when was the last time anyone called Mary blessed? Given her situation, given her standing, who has ever called her blessed? 
Nobody in her circumstances would be called blessed. And yet she walks into this room and Elizabeth is saying, blessed are you among all women. All honor and praise. Blessed is the fruit of, the, of your womb. And it's all because Elizabeth is recognizing the blessing of being in the presence of God. She knows that as Mary walks in, Mary carries within her, her very Savior. And you see this in, in the way that Elizabeth exalts. She exalts with this Trinitarian. It's not just like, hooray, hip hip hooray, you got a baby who's going to be amazing. She uses Trinitarian language. She is using the language of God that to describe God in the fullness of who God is in the way that she blesses Mary. She says in verse 43, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as she's indwelt by it, she proclaims, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed is she, verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In essence, she's saying, by God the Spirit, God the Father has put God the Son in your womb, and I get to meet him. And she exults in that. And I think it's in that moment, as Elizabeth is using language that that describes the fullness of God, used in the Old Testament throughout the Scriptures to describe the greatness and fullness of the God that they worship together, to describe the very child in her womb, that it begins to click. Where it's not just like, hey, I've got this mystery miracle baby in me, but it's, I've got, I've got the Messiah in me. And she begins to take hold of God's promise, and we see that she responds with the first Christmas song. And it's an amazing song. I think the song reveals two things that I want us to reflect on at this moment. First, it reveals a sense of Mary's humility. One of the things that, for Mary to go from a a, a kind of cloudiness and an unsureness about her situation to a confirmation and an understanding of what God is doing in her life and through her, it, it requires Mary to allow someone to speak into her life. Because if you somehow got a message one day that you were told in your head by what you believe to be a spirit that you carried the Messiah or you were the Messiah, you could go two ways for most of us, right? One, you would be like, I must be going crazy. I need to put this thing out of my mind. You know, we're not going to talk about this with anyone ever. Or secondly, you could be like, yeah, Messiah's happening and it's coming through me, right? I am the big enchilada now, right? And you can use that to your advantage to manipulate or trick others. Mary doesn't do either. She seems to not entirely comprehend and is hesitant. And yet at the same time looks to trustworthy people to confirm what's happening. She goes and speaks and meets with her cousin. And it's in that... uh, It's in that dialogue, it's in that conversation, it's in meeting her and seeing the way in which she is confirming what the the, uh, angel Gabriel has uh, prophesied over her that she then begins to truly understand and have a confirmation of what's going on. You know, there's great wisdom in this for us, isn't there? In the sense that if we believe God is calling us to something, if we believe God is doing something in us, there is wisdom to confer Uh, With those that we spiritually trust, there's wisdom in being together with God's people so that we don't try to do this on our own or make sense or interpret things on our own. Because the reality is the Christian doesn't walk in obedience to God without a community that walks with them. 
And the reality is, if we're going to use an example, why not use our building example? We're looking for a building. The last thing our leadership wanted to do was begin to just start searching for buildings without first coming as a community together to pray, to seek wisdom from one another, and to, to, to speak into one another's lives, for you to speak into us before we even begin the search. Op- the search, uh, the search. Because it, we need all of us in this together. Uh, for, our, for our church to grow, for our church to see what God is doing. And so that's why we're praying together after the service. And in a lot of ways, Mary has set the model for that, for us. Because she was humble enough to allow someone to speak into her life and into her situation. There is a humility and a faith that's there. Secondly, in her song, she reveals uh, the fact that she's part of a greater story. You know, Mary... Uh, Mary is not someone who sees herself as an individual wandering through the universe on her own, just trying to make it by herself. But she understood that her story was connected to a bigger story, God's story of redemption. You know, and and again, thinking about her being poor from a podunk town, having a questionable situation, and frankly, probably being discarded and ignored and treated differently by all kinds of neighbors around her, Yet she was not stupid. She knew there was a bigger story being written. She knew her scriptures. She knew the Old Testament. And the song itself, if you read and and think over that song, it, it pours forth with language from the Old Testament, from the Psalms and the prophets, that all the language she uses in describing and exulting over the child in her womb is all language used in scripture because she saw that this child connected her to the story of Israel, to the story of God's people. That Israel, a poor and small nation, one that was uh, treated poorly by the nations around, surrounding them, and yet God would choose them in the same way. Mary saw that her, a poor and uh, kind of wanderless and, and, and girl of questionable background, Yet, who would have no regard, would not be regarded by anyone, and yet God would choose her. And she knows that that's her story, and that story is a part of God's story for God's people. Verse 55, she talks about how her child would fulfill, she sings about her child would fulfill what was promised to Abraham, that, uh, that she's not a random girl from a random town, but she's the mother of the Messiah, the one who, when God promised to Abraham, right, I, I will bring the Messiah, through, I will bring the true king through you and through your line, that Mary was a part of that line. And in that same way, you cannot sit here today. If you trust by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot sit here today and somehow be a watcher or be uh, sitting apart from the story of Advent. You are part and parcel with this story. God has woven you into this story because you are woven into Christ. You are in union with him. And so this, the, the, the story of the coming of Jesus, of his birth, necessarily is part of our story. It's part of who you are. It's in fact all of who you are. And so church and Christmas and Advent is not a dog and pony show. It is our life. 
It is our salvation and our rescue. All our stories are bundled up with Mary's story, with Mary's song in this great drama of redemption. And you are written into that. And that is the promise of grace because we don't deserve that. We spend so much of our lives trying to write our own stories, trying to make a name for ourselves. And yet the beauty of grace is that God writes us into his and makes us a part of the great story of Christmas. And that's the promise of grace Mary receives and sings about in her song. There's also a promise of change. There's a promise of change that will come because of this child. For Mary, she knew how much of her own life would change because of Jesus. You know, you just don't go back to status quo after her situation. Right? In verse 46 and 47, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, the, the language of my soul and my spirit, when it's used in Scripture, is a language that describes uh, the very core, the very inner being of a person. Being, and so she's talking about how every part, every single atom within me gives over to you, Lord, in praise and exaltation. Every part of who I am. You know, when you... Every new parent understands that when you have a child, it means you have to change the way you manage your time, the way you manage your money, the way you manage energy and things that you do in a day, right? But Mary isn't... When, when Mary says, my soul and my spirit praise and give myself over to the Lord, she's not talking about, man... Oh, Lord, you are going to make me have to wake up earlier. It's like, oh, Lord, I've got to spend money on diapers now. She's talking about, Lord, every part of who I am is going to be different. The very core of who I am is going to be different because of this child. What she's realizing is this child doesn't just change her life, but this child will be life itself for her. That's what she's singing about. That the child she bears will not just change her, it won't just tinker with her life, but this child will be life itself for her. That the very core of who she is, not just what she does, but who she is, will never remain the same. And because of this, she's able to sing of how blessed she truly is. And again, remembering that she, will, she, from a societal standpoint, will forever be marked as that girl who got pregnant without being married. And she will always be seen as that girl that came from Nazareth, where what good can come from there? From that poor podunk town. And yet she's able to sing, I am blessed my soul and my spirit, my very core of who I am, all of it is, gives praise unto God because of this child within me. And it's only because she knows who this child is that she can say that. You know, when we talk about going Christmas caroling and singing Christmas carols with another church, which is really exciting and, and a great opportunity to, to join together in worship, uh, some of the Christmas carols, but especially the stuff you hear on the radio, 
uh, the Christmas songs you hear on the radio, there is a ton of sentimentality in, in, in the Christmas music today, right? A lot of uh, warm fuzzies. And yet Mary's song, which is technically the first Christmas song of all time, is actually far from sentimental, is it not? It doesn't, you read Mary's song, it doesn't necessarily, I don't read Mary's song and go, you know, I want some hot chocolate and I want to curl up by a fireplace, <laughs> right? Get myself a Snuggie and just do that, right? But Mary's song, when you read it, it makes you, it makes you stand in awe and in wonder, does it not? It makes you kneel in, in humble prayer. This isn't a sentimental song. Because Mary sings not just about the greatness and the blessedness that she's a part of. More importantly, she sings about the wonder and mystery and majesty of the God who is bringing forth the Messiah through her and the change, the reckoning, and even the judgment that is to come in this Messiah, in the Savior. She says that the proud... Once this child is born, the proud will be scattered. The mighty will be brought down. The rich will go away empty. That those who find identity and value in this world will find themselves with nothing. Sing that for your Christmas carol. And instead she says that the humble will be exalted. The hungry will be filled. That cultural and spiritual hierarchies will be upended. And she can say this, especially, she's not just singing it because it's a pie in the sky dream. She can sing this because she's witnessing this. She's watching all this already happen by this child within her. You know, Mary, it is Mary who sings the first Christmas praise while God's priest himself, Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, still can't say a single word. The man who is supposed to intercede on behalf of God's people. He has yet to say a single word about the child to be born. And yet it is the two women, again, women not being held high in society's eyes, but two women with miracle pregnancies who sing the praises of God first. In fact, you can even go so far and to say it is the most vulnerable member of any society, especially our society today, it is the unborn child in Elizabeth who actually first recognizes who is in Mary. And this is the upending. This is the judgment, the reckoning, the switch in priorities, in hierarchies of the kingdom that is to, be, that is to come in Jesus Christ. These people that God chose to first welcome the Messiah into the world, to first recognize that the Messiah was here, these people were proof that things were changing, that a new kingdom was being ushered in. That in the child Jesus, the lowly will know that they are raised up by him. And they can stand in confidence. And the lofty, will see their fleeting, standing, and they will be humbled. That it's in Jesus that the poor will find their riches in Him alone, and they will know true satisfaction, and the rich will finally see what little they actually own, and will learn to be generous, and will learn to give. 
It is in this child the true power will be shown in weakness and in vulnerability. First, in the reality that this little child will come and be in a manger and the king of Israel will freak out because someone's going to take his place. And furthermore, the greater example of power in weakness, that this very child would grow old and be crucified upon the cross and be left at the hands of Roman soldiers. And yet it is that very act that brings forth the greatest power of salvation all humanity will ever see. And we as God's people who live on the other side of Mary's pregnancy, we live on the other side of Christ's birth, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension. What Mary saw and sang about with the very first light that she could see with, we bask in that dawn. We see with greater light. And the great promise of the second advent is that what we see with just in this dawn, we will one day see in fullness of day when Jesus returns. And the promises that Mary, uh, the promises of change that Mary sings of in here, in, in, their, in her song this morning, we walk in today. That we need not fear walking into the unknown. For our hope is in Christ alone. That our power is not, is not found in a church that was born seven years ago on this island. Our power is not in a building that's, that we've been in for three years. Our power is not in any pastor or any gifting or in any ministry. But our power is found in a promised child born 2,000 years ago. And it is this promise of change that gives us hope today. That if right now you're suffering great loss or you're going through a period of great sadness in your life. Yes, there is a place to mourn, and we want to mourn with you, but we also want to encourage you, take hope. Christ has come, and he will come again. Or maybe you're walking with fear and anxiety in life, and you're afraid of what happens once this year becomes 2020. Afraid of circumstances to come or worried about what might happen? Take hope. Christ has come and he will come again. For in one moment, Mary, Mary thought that this child had totally ruined her life. And yet in the very next, this child makes her the most blessed woman of all eternity. Friends, our God has drawn near. We are a part of this story. Our God has drawn near. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And God invites you during Advent, during this season, to be a part of his story. To be written into it just the way that Mary was written into it. And that's only, that only happens by, by faith in Christ and by trusting him. By seeing that it's not about what you can make of yourself. But the way in which God desires to bring you into his story. In the same way that he brought Mary into a story by his grace. So take hold of that promise this morning. That true change, true change will come by faith in Christ alone. Because that is what he has promised to bring. That's what he promised to bring through Mary 2,000 years ago. And that is what he promises to bring us today.
Would you trust in him and see that this child that was born through Mary was born for us? Let's pray.